0: All rise. The honorables, the presiding judge and judges of the Court of Appeals of the State of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Court of Appeals is now in session. God save the state and this honorable court. Be seated.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. We have one case on the calendar for oral argument this morning, and that's number 21-354, Spencer versus Goodyear Tire and Rubber. We've confirmed the parties are ready to proceed, and I understand because they're a cross appeal here, uh, you all have worked out the argument time. So we'll hear from the first appellant.
2: May it please the court. My name is Dwayne Jones. I represent the defendants in this matter, um, and I have stated I'd like to reserve uh, 10 minutes for rebuttal. So I know that this case may look like an injury by accident. Um, It's not an injury by accident. Uh, That's going to be Mr. Burdick's appeal. Um, I know that also that it may look like an occupational disease, but it's not that either. Um, Mr. Spencer certainly got hurt at work while he was doing his job. Uh, but that does not translate into necessarily being a compensable event. Um, what I'm here arguing um, about is uh, the full commission found uh, that, that uh, Mr. Spencer s- suffered an occupational disease while he was at work. But their theory of how he, how this occupational disease came about is flawed, and it's not supported by the testimony of Dr. Spear, uh, which is the doctor that they relied upon. Now they outline sort of what their theory is and finding the fact 15, 16 and 17 of their opinion and award. Um, And as best that I can summarize it, um, the repetitive motion of the job, the the, the stress of the job, caused uh, Mr. Spencer to develop bone spurs, um, which then uh, sort of rubbed against or aggravated the shoulder ligaments. And then somehow that process then uh, g- caused his uh, uh, bicep tendons to become unstable. The thing is, Dr. Spear never testified that that happened.
1: So you would agree, like, suppose in a hypothetical that um, a worker is exposed at a factory to some chemical um, over and over, day after day, and that repeated exposure causes some sort of condition where um, your bones can't heal. They're broken. And then one day while out just doing the ordinary things of life, the worker breaks one of their bones. It's not, it doesn't heal, so then they can't go back to work. Um, you'd agree that, that you, you could argue that it was the occupational disease that caused that harm, right? Because, of course, the, the bone would heal without the fact that they, you have this condition. It was caused through this repeated exposure, at work. And I think what your, your friend is going to argue is that's sort of what happened here, that it was the, you know, these, the bone spurs and the other degenerative issues that they, their expert says these are the, the occupational disease that's in combination with the acute event caused the injury. So what, address that argument that I think we'll hear.
2: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going to entirely agree with you, and you, you asked me that I would agree. I don't know that I would entirely agree. Um, I think it's certainly possible, and I think that you just said something that is missing in this case, and that is a causal connection. what you just said about the bone spurs is what the full commission said, yeah, the bone spurs cause the shoulder to go bad and then that uh, uh, so that, that, that sort of the wear and tear and then this incident that happened on april twenty first was the the final thing and it busted but 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 there's not that causal connection and Dr. Speer never gives that causal connection um, so
1: in the I'll One of the questions in the deposition, is he, he's asked, uh, you know, some event appears to have taken this from merely wear and tear to something fairly significant. Is that right? Yes. Is that a combination of him having some degenerative pathology from the job in that shoulder combined with him pulling on this stuck rubber, in your medical opinion? Yeah. Okay. So five, is that not an... No. Why not?
2: Five times Dr. Spear says that everything that has to do with his bicep tendons is related to the acute injury that occurred on April 21st, um, five times. We start with, um, on page nine, On, and, and I get what you're saying, OK? But I'm, I, I want to point to these five, uh, try to point to these five things to say, to sort of undermine and, and clarify what he said then. Um, on page nine, so all the information was fairly consistent with them having an original on-the-job injury that sparked that shoulder and started a series of treatments that eventually ended with Dr. Warren performing the surgery. Original, spark started. That's not combination. That's not going back to to some condition before and and ultimately being the cause. Um, On page 37, which I think is just after what you just stated. Well, I think that much of it, if not all of it, that's different than the the quote that you, much of it, if not all of it, maybe something else contributed, but maybe or likely all of it was from the acute injury. Certainly much of it was from the acute incident because the symptoms were acute and his presentation was acute. And then he ends that with, so absent that injury, I'm not sure that his shoulder would have behaved like that. That's not a combination. It may it's a combination. And again, the full commission picked up on his testimony on page 11. That he, he certainly said it could have happened. What the, the scenario that you you laid out could have happened. Well, he never said it happened. He said in general that this could happen, that it could lead to it. But when he specifically talked about Mr. Spencer, he said everything happened because of the acute incident.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to ask your your friend about that because, and there's certainly, I think, in Dr. Spears' testimony, there is some um, there's a little bit of ambiguity about whether you know he do, he doesn't state clearly the medical opinion that. Um, that, I, that I referenced earlier, but if we're on competent evidence standard and we're trying to figure out in the, uh, in the Industrial Commission, looking at all this and trying to piece it together, isn't that one statement where he seems to be asked pretty clearly, is this combination, you, in your medical opinion, is it the degenerative condition combined with the acute injury that causes? He says, yeah. Is that not competent i don't
2: i don't think that you can just take you know and again i know that that the the plaintiff cited that alexander v walmart case where it says you i can't go in and point out snippets of testimony and say well this he agreed with me here i'm not asking you to do that i'm asking you to look at his testimony as a whole specifically when he talks about the causation of what happened to mr spencer's arm and again five times he says it was the acute injury so i don't think i'm asking you to reweigh the evidence or just only look at this part without looking at I'm begging you to look at the entire deposition as a whole and, I, uh, and consider what, what is actually, does he ever give the causal connection? And, if and I, I don't know you wrong. have a, a question. I'm going to specifically get to your, the causation in, in just a second.
3: Yes, And this is just to follow on what Judge Dietz has already asked you, but it may inform your further answer. Um, when you say you're not asking us to reweigh the evidence, you're just asking us to look at everything that was said. Um, if Dr. Speer, um, just just um, for argument's sake, um, if through you know fate or good lawyering or, or preparation or whatever, Dr. Speer gave some testimony that supported the commission's findings. And five other times he gave testimony that contradicted that testimony. Don't we still have to affirm the findings because they're supported by competent evidence?
2: No, I, I don't. And I will rely upon um, — and, and it kind of goes with what I'm saying is, you know, Holly uh, — Chambers says maybe is not good enough. Holly says could have is not good enough if you have other evidence that shows that it was a guess or speculation. And I've cited the Chamber Supreme Court brief in my uh, case in my brief, but if you look at the the Chamber's decision from this court, the dissent, from Judge Jackson, now Justice Jackson, now again, I'm not saying that the Supreme Court did not adopt a a dissent procurium like they did Justice Hudson's in Alexander, but, but I think that that tells you, instructs you instructs this court that yes you are to look at the deposition as a whole and if you have this snippet here but it's clearly contradicted over here then it's wrong and you can't rely upon it it, it it's by its very nature it would be speculative so i would disagree with you judge Edman. I, I suppose you know i know that you can read that standard of review and, and get stricter and stricter and stricter but if you say one thing here and you say one thing here no, I don't think that, that, that if the commission picks this point, and, and again, when I point out to you, that in general, he says this could happen. Specifically, he says it didn't happen. He says it all happened because of the incident. So the, the phrase, I think it's in 15 or finding a fact 15 or 17, where they say the bone spurs aggravated the ligaments, and then that caused the biceps tendon to become unstable. Um, Again, a lot of that was from, they relied upon his testimony on page 11. But if you look at uh, pages 23 and 24, so yes, just the wear and tear on the shoulder can cause those bone spurs to form. But I think, I think what triggered the switch in his shoulder that made it painful and following that strain was what Dr. Barnes found. He goes back and he looks, this is what Dr. Barnes found that his biceps became unstable. The strain made the bicep tendons become unstable. Because the bicep tendon is stabilized in its groove with ligaments and the biceps can get worn down from the spurs and all that, but, top of page 24, but if those ligaments ever tear and the biceps become unstable, which is what Dr. Barnes found, that's a sudden change of the shoulder and it sounds like in reading his history, that he had, he had a moment or a time where he felt like he strained his shoulder. And from that point forward, his shoulder was more painful. He's not saying that the bone spurs wore down the ligaments and the ligaments made the bicep tendons unstable. He's saying, yeah, there's some wear and tear in his shoulder, but what made his bicep tendons unstable was this acute incident on April 21st. That is not what the full commission said he said. They, they described it as what you were saying. It's more gradual, it's all related. I'm not going to deny, and I cannot deny, that Mr. Spencer had bone spurs, and they were caused by the repetitive motion in his, uh, from his work. Now, Dr. Barnes says they're not, but that gets back to your standard of review. I, I can sit up here and cry all day about Dr. Barnes is right. You can't listen to me even if I preach that to you. You've got to go with Dr. Speer. What I'm telling you is Dr. Speer didn't say what the full commission said he said.
1: So let me ask you while we're on the subject of that, Dr. Speer and Dr. Barnes here. So you also said so there's three parts to test for occupational disease. Although the first two prongs of the statute, I think the case law has essentially collapsed into just a question of whether or not, you know, on, on the job you're exposed to this thing more than people generally. But w- one question I had about that is, so there is evidence in the record, I think this was Dr. Barnes, saying, who do I usually see with bone spurs, athletes, and weightlifters, and things like that? And then you have Dr. Spears saying, I, wa- I-, I studied uh, the um, Spencer's job, and he's exposed to this. But do you need some evidence to prove that ordinary people, that the this is higher than... So maybe... The, the general public meaning you know just everyone that exists in the world, there's gonna be people that, you know, don't really move around at all that are very sedentary. There are other people that are very active in the public generally. Do how does that work? I mean, do we have to consider the fact that there may be lots of people who get this condition who don't have a job like this and are doing ordinary activities because they're athletes or weightlifters? Or do we just have to accept that, well, you take a baseline of a person that's not moving or doing anything and that's the public? That's what I'm trying to figure out how we assess that?
2: Um, I I think that you look at, as best I can explain it, you look at the general public. Do most people, or does the general public, end up with these injuries? You know, I've got a bad shoulder. I I don't know that it's near as bad as Mr. Spears, and, you know, I didn't get it at work. Um, Or actually, I think I did get it at work, but it was 30-some years ago. But obviously, my job, I'm not doing that. So he's certainly exposed to a higher risk than I am. And then you look out at at whatever the general public is, Um, now, you know, it it frustrates me as a defense attorney, but I do think that Dr. Speer, you know, threw that out there. I think he's exposed more than the general public. So I think we may be stuck with that. I would love to argue he didn't know what he was talking about or he didn't have the the empirical evidence to base it upon, but that's what he said. You know, and I
1: think— That's sort of what I was getting at, so the way that we've collapsed the test in the case law, if an expert says, I said this job, my view, I'm a doctor, but in my view, I think that what I watch this person doing at work, they're exposed to it more than, and that's that's game over then. Um, and so really causation in these occupational disease cases is
2: that. Um, no, it's not game over because you still have to, and I, I, didn't, I interrupted you. No, go ahead. The, that prong may be gay, game over in this case. I'll give you that. But the second prong, the substantial... The, the, the this is in Rutledge 2, the, the third prong, the significant causal factor. You've got to meet that. And that's what I've been talking about. He has not met the significant causal factor. The other important thing here is the occupational exposure. So whatever it's bone spurs, which I think is the only occupational, the only alleged thing that could be an occupational disease is the bone spurs. I have no idea what the, the ligament wearing is or the general wear and tear. I don't think that's an occupational disease, but, but regardless whatever's going on in his shoulder, the occupational exposure was such a significant factor in the disease's development that without it, the disease would not have developed to such an extent that caused the physical disability which resulted in the claimant's incapacity for work. I don't know where the evidence is that the bone spurs or all this stuff caused him to go out of work. What caused him to go out of work, which is what Dr. Spears said was, the acute incident, and I think this is the last one, but I I certainly want to draw your attention again to uh, page 27, and this is actually in the full commission's finding of fact. So again, this this is what the the passage that I think that follows the, the passage that you read at the very beginning judge deeds. So, again, page 27. Well, I think the demands of his job caused a lot of degenerative wear and tear in his shoulder, resulting in the bone spurs and maybe, maybe some degree of biceps pathology. But the bicep tendon instability was probably caused by an event, a moment, some strain, that thereafter, his shoulder is uniquely more painful than it had been in the past. Maybe it caused the bicep pathology, but what caused the biceps to, 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 to tear, to become unstable, was the acute event. And Judge Inman, to go back to your point and to combine it with Judge Dietz's quote, those quotes aren't inconsistent. I'm not asking you to to disregard what he said here and adopt what he said here, those quotes are consistent. Yes, maybe there was something going on, but it wasn't the significant causal factor. So that- and, and I don't even know that it was going on. I, you're right. I think he says, you know, your point was more clear. Here he's clearly saying maybe. But I think, again, in the end, it's he had some wearing hair, but this is what caused his injury, this event that happened on April 21st. So the-
1: So the the Commission said the compensable injury was tendon tear in the left rotator cuff. So we have this testimony um, that there's a that, that was caused by a combination of the degenerative wear and tear and then the acute injury. In your view, lo- looking at that case law, is there more than an expert needs to say about, you know, for example, saying that it was, you know, in other areas of causation we require some greater degree of um, tying it together than just saying like this and this in combination caused it. You have to say yes And this was the contributing factor and not this. You, is there a case law that says you had to show that the Disease was the contributing factor and not the acute injury or something anything like that? The,
2: the passage that I read to you in Rutledge It has to be a significant causal factor Without it the disease would not have developed to such an extent that it caused the physical disability this disease did not develop to the point where it actually caused the disability. It developed, but the acute event caused the disability. So that's, I mean, that's the, what, what I would point to to answer your question. And then rutledge is pretty much it. That's the case law. That's sort of a um,
3: big-picture question. Um, uh, we've all heard the phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, how do we, in interpreting the Workers' Compensation Act, um, I, I think that I think that Mr. Spencer's counsel is going to argue that that you are making hair-splitting, hyper-technical arguments to deny him compensation. And what I hear you saying is, no, I'm saying that the commission made findings that weren't supported by dr spears testimony
2: i would say that there's no evidence that this event on april 21st was the straw that broke the camel's back and i know that they cited three cases about rotator cuff tears and that eventually you know the rotator cuff wore and more and more and more and and then finally on the the date of the incident it it popped Um, but i think that's vastly different in this case and like i said I, i i think it's fairly clear those five passages that I pointed out say this was not the straw that broke the camel's back. This was the camel's back breaking. This was the tree that fell on the camel and broke the camel's back, not the, the straw at the end.
1: Right. I mean, it isn't – just to take this metaphor, but isn't the – like, your argument is the the straw that broke the camel's back, which is the acute injury, is like the giant tree falling, but what That's, they're saying is really – there were just all these straws it was not the str- this straw that broke the camel's back it was all these straws leading up to it and what i'm struggling with is where i want to find the testimony that lets me know uh which of those two is right so we can make you know make uh, this causal determination so what, and i'm looking what, at the testimony and what i just have is that one statement where he says it's a combination is the yes
2: that's again but but then he comes back and he says, maybe it had maybe the, maybe the occupational disease had some effect on the pathology, but what caused it was the acuteness. And again, when you look at maybe, when you look at could have, you're free to reject that as competent evidence. And so, again, you're not going back and, and reversing the, the full commission's weight of the evidence. You're saying, no, what, what you rely upon, A, is not supported by the testimony, and two, what you're relying upon is maybe and could have. When he talks specifically about what happened to Mr. Spear, he's definite in it was this acute incident. So to answer your question, if you're struggling, all I can do is refer to those five passages, which I think are plenty to overcome it. But, but if, if you, that's all I got.
3: Does, does the Commission's, um, you know, exclusive authority to judge credibility of witnesses weigh the evidence, all that, all that, um, permit the—just for the sake of argument, for the sake of argument, if if we were to agree with your interpretation of all of this testimony, if the Commission interpreted it the way Judge Dietz is describing, um, is that within the fact-finding, the exclusive fact-finding? Uh, authority of the commission to split those hairs to right,
2: well, decide that. I don't think that it's splitting hairs and I'll go ahead and give you the the, the thing that you want that you can you can uh, You can seek me on If you go back and you read his testimony as a whole and you think that a reasonable conclusion and I would look at 23 and 24 That's what I'm saying is wrong and what the commission based it upon and then that, that is Bolstered, my argument is bolstered and proven by the four other passages. If you read his testimony as a whole and you say, you know what, you could have interpreted it that way, it's a reasonable interpretation, then I lose. And what I'm doing is, what I'm up here begging you to do is, that's not what he said. And I've got these examples saying it's not what he said. If, If you disagree with that and Judge Dietz, if you want to sit there and hang it all on that one passage that I've rebutted, I, I lose. You have to go back to the full commission. But you can read his deposition, and if you come to the conclusion, well, I think Dwayne was right, I don't think the full commission said what—or Dr. Spear did not say what they said he said, then I think you, you, you have full power to reverse it. I've got six minutes left. I'd like to have some rebuttal because I'm sure injury by accident is going to take some time. But If you have more questions, though, I mean, again, this is my argument. I'll be happy to answer them.
1: All right, we'll let you reserve it. Thank you, Council. Thank you. All right, so we'll now hear from the appoe and cross appellant on the second
2: issue.
4: May it please the court. My name is Michael Burdix. I'm here with my law partner, Neil Kamak, and we represent Stanley Spencer in this workers' compensation case with Goodyear Tire and Rubber. <laughs> the facts of this case aren't in any significant dispute. Uh, you heard Uh, Defense counsel concede that Mr. Spencer's shoulder problems were caused by his job that was actually one of the very first things that was conceded Uh, You've also I think heard a concession on increased risk that dr. Speer offered testimony on the subject You have both of those items the standard of review is any competent evidence I think this appeal is now decided by those issues because we have competent evidence in favor of causation I mean a concession is actually beyond what
1: you need. Well, here's my question about causation for you. The commission, uh, and this is conclusion five? Four. Yeah. And conclusion four says, you know, plaintiff has established by preponderance of the evidence that as employment exposed him to greater risk of degenerative wear and tear in the shoulders above that scene in the public. And that but for plaintiff's shoulder strain, plaintiff would not have become disabled. But is that really, where is the the findings that then lead to the conclusion that a significant factor in the injury, the compensable injury, was the degenerative wear and tear, this, what, the only thing that be the occupational disease, the bone spurs, or these other conditions?
4: Your Honor, I don't think that the full commission specifically does that, and I don't think they need to. If you look at the other cases on these sorts of shoulder occupational diseases, I'm referring to Flynn versus EPSG. I'm referring to Gibbs versus Leggett, and I'm referring to Guerin versus Gladfelter. The commission in those cases went far less deeply into etiology than they did here, and it was fine. Those cases were all affirmed. Those occupational diseases were all found compensable. I think looking at the facts of those cases shows why defendants are attempting something that is hyper-technical and that no case has ever done before in their bid to essentially roll back cumulative trauma occupational disease law. I mean, Flynn versus EPSG is I think particularly salient. There you had a camera operator who doesn't have any preexisting problems that they know about. And then on July 20th, 2001, experiences this severe onset of pain, just doing their normal job holding this camera up there. And they were diagnosed with a torn rotator cuff and a uh, reactive synovitis. The plaintiff pled that claim in the alternative, just as Mr. Spencer did here, uh, saying, this might be an injury by accident, this might be an occupational disease, might be both. And it was approved on an occupational disease theory. And it was approved based on testimony that the plaintiff was at, quote, increased risk of shoulder problems. There was no need to go down in the weeds of, well, there was degeneration to this part of the AC joint and that, degeneration made the rotator cuff prone to tearing, and then they were doing their job, and then it tore. You had an acute event. You had the testimony on causation that was in very general terms, and you had testimony on increased risk. They're at increased risk of shoulder problems. That was adequate to find the claim compensable, that that was competent evidence to meet the plaintiff's burden. And you have...
2: Isn't
1: the... I think we what I understand your friend of be arguing is the distinction here is that there is this defined a- acute event, although it may not have been an injury by accident. I think we'll talk about that in a minute, but the, something happened, which is the, the acute injury. Um, and that what we're trying to figure out is if all the testimony from the expert is, yes, it's a combination of this, what, we would call the occupational disease. So, you know, what are the bone spurs and all this other. It's that and this sudden acute injury. Do you not need any testimony about how much of a factor those two things were? Is it just enough to say there's a combination? It's a mix, which I think, I think, Spears used combination. I think the commission used mix or mixture or something like that. And, you know, is that enough? Just to say they're both in there together.
4: Your Honor, I think the paradigm here that the defendants are trying to ask you to use of trying to separate out that final April 21st, 2018 event from all of the other similar events that have preceded it is flawed. Cumulative trauma disorders are always gonna have a series of events that occur over time and then one day there's a problem. Sometimes that problem occurs gradually, but there's still gonna be a first event of symptoms. And what you saw in Flynn is there was a sudden occurrence of symptoms. If you look at Guerin, it was a slower development, but there's still gonna be a first day of symptoms, a trauma where the disease manifests. We don't peel apart that final trauma and treat it separately from all of the traumas that preceded that. That's not how workers' comp law works. I mean, there's nothing in our statute that calls for that. There's no case law that calls for that. The defendants have not cited a single case that asks this court to treat that sudden final acute event differently from all of the similar events that preceded that. Remember the undisputed testimony that we have here that was found as fact by the commission is that Mr. Spencer was encountering stuck rubber events every five or six skids. He's having a yank every five or six skids. He did 30 to 50 skids a day. This particular event on April 21st, 2018 is not substantially different from any of the other potentially as many as 10 events that he has on a regular
3: day. Maybe that's a good jumping-off point to talk about your cross-appeal.
4: Yes, Your Honor. Um, we raised the cross appeal on the issue of injury by accident for several reasons. The first reason, of course, was to avoid a shell-game theory of liability, which, where the defendants attempt to shift liability away from the advanced theory into the alternate non-PLED theory. Um, And What it has resulted in, of course, is this current posture where the defendants are trying to do both. They try to turn one claim into two. Our theory of liability and injury by accident is that if you use the ordinary dictionary definition of the terms, which is what is called for by this case law from the Supreme Court, Edmonds versus Piedmont Publishing, the word accident does not equate only to the word unusual. There is some case law that has tried to reduce the t- question of accident solely to the question of unusual. If that is the case law that has followed, we freely admit we lose.
3: Well, would you it just? It, it, it seems like these two theories for you are contradictory, because you just said, you know, he was encountering stuck rob, rubber every five or six skids, day in and day out. This is occurring. This is occurring, and this is, this is what supports this finding is an occupational disease. Um, it's not like uh, it's a straw that broke the camel's back. It's not a giant tree that broke the camel's back. Doesn't that cut against the concept? I guess you're saying that's why you're conceding, that if the, if the, if the threshold is unusual, you concede that you lose
4: Absolutely. That. Okay. Absolutely, Your Honor. Okay. At the same okay. time, we would point to the fact that Goodyear specifically has a, mechaniz- a mechanism in the wigwag machine in the application of the slurry that's supposed to prevent the sticking the rubber events from occurring, This failed frequently, and that, therefore, this is an unlooked-for and untoward event, even if it may not be an unusual thing.
3: OK. To be unusual, it would be that that system worked all the time and then on this day it failed? Yes. OK.
4: And if we use that paradigm of looking at the concept of unlooked-for and untoward, which is recited in the case law repeatedly, even if it has not necessarily been applied as the sine qua non of injury by accident in recent years. Well, you look at those earlier cases and they're pretty clear that unlooked-for and untoward counts, and you can look at the football player cases, Renfro versus richardson Sports Ltd., where it's not unusual. The only thing that was unusual was the injury, and that was still, because it's an unlooked-for and untoward event to have a bad block where you break your wrist and suffer a career-ending injury. That was enough for it to be covered injury by accident.
0: So, so is injury by accident an occupational disease in this case, are they, are they mutually exclusive, or is there a theory under which both might apply, i.e., are there, you know, is there additional compensation, additional benefits to which your client might be entitled under a, an accident theory? as well as an occupational disease theory. I mean, do you understand?
4: Do. Your Honor, uh, whether this is an injury by accident or an occupational disease, as long as it's one, the plaintiff gets the same compensation that they would get if it were both. And to answer your question, is there case law that supports an individual workers' comp claim arising and being characterized as both an injury by accident and an occupational disease? Simultaneously, the answer is yes. The case is Booker versus Duke University Medical Center. And that case, I think, really cuts to the heart of what you're looking at here. In Booker, you had an individual who got hepatitis from an accidental needle stick. The accidental needle stick is an accident. It's not supposed to happen. The plaintiff gets infected as a result. So the hepatitis in that case is the consequence of the injury by accident. On the other hand, hepatitis is also an occupational disease because the likelihood of contracting hepatitis in that job is way higher than it would be for the general public. So with the hepatitis as an occupational disease, you look at more than the needle stick. You look at the overall exposure, and you have the causation and increase risk there as well. With occupational disease theories of liability, you don't look at just one event. You look at that last event and everything else that preceded it. With the injury by accident theory, you just get to look at that last event But you can still have something be both. And Booker talked about that, saying how back before the uh, amendment to make occupational diseases more liberalized in the 70s, where we got the catch-all provision, occupational diseases were very, very tightly defined. They had to develop gradually, but that changed. And what defendants are trying to do here is try to resurrect some of those older principles by asking that you Not consider this final acute event as part of the overall scheme. They're asking you to find a way to take a job, an injury that caused was caused by the job. They admitted it, and that he was at increased risk. They've admitted it, and say that's somehow not compensable.
1: Well, what if, getting back to the causation question, what if the um, so there's a a torn tendon in the left rotator cuff, and if an expert testifies. Yes, this uh employee had the, the bone spurs and other degenerative diseases that could be considered occupational diseases. But having looked at the at the accident, what happened? This worker would have suffered that same torn rotator cuff injury regardless of whether or not you had the degenerative conditions as well. Cuz I'm looking on the camera of, you know, what happens and yeah, anybody doing that would have had a torn rotator cuff. Can you can you it, does that defeat the causation requirement in your view then? So, in other words, the testimony is it wouldn't have even mattered if you had this occupation, that you would have suffered this injury. In that case, under Rutledge, can we say, well, you can still, if you say that it was combinant, you know, that it contributed in however tiny way, then that's enough? That's the question I have.
4: Your Honor, in that postulation, you have in a premise essentially that the job caused the injury. That is causation. The fact that it occurred suddenly, as opposed, as opposed to occurred as a result of a series of traumas over time, is superfluous, because the law doesn't care. There's no case law that defendants have cited that care about that subject. That is something that defendants are asking to add to the law without authority to do so.
1: But I guess what I'm struggling with, if that's correct, is so if the in- exact injury would have happened regardless of the occupational disease, how could you, how would we possibly say that the occupational disease is a significant causal factor? And that's, I thought, what the Supreme Court told us we do on the third step of the test.
4: The occupational disease in this case, let's define precisely what Mr. Spencer's occupational disease is, because I think that may answer this question. Mr. Spencer's occupational disease is not one diagnosis. In fact... This court in Johnston versus Duke answered that specific question when I was on the other side of this issue. Uh, In Johnston, we tried to uh, essentially propound this theory that you look at individual diagnoses and each is a separate claim, each is a separate occupational disease. So in that case, we had plantar fasciitis was one occupational disease. And then later Achilles tendinopathy, which a a lesion that appeared on the Achilles tendon, that's a totally different part of the foot than the plantar fascia, and then later on, nerve inflammation, the tarsal tunnel, became problematic. And so we tried to bring that as a third occupational disease. And the court said, no, that is not how this works. The occupational disease is all of this, the foot problems. That's what we have here for Stanley. He has the shoulder problems, the bicep problems. It's all one thing. Yes, you can look at the individual components and say, yeah, they're bone spurs first, and then ligament damage and wear and tear. He has glenohumeral arthritis, which is the ball and socket. He has AC joint arthritis, which is the bone spurs on the top of the shoulder. He has the tear of the rotator cuff, specifically the supraspinatus tendon, a little on the top, a little on the bottom, the bicep tendon scarring and all of that. You can, you can thinly subdivide all of those things apart, but that's not what workers' comp law is about. Workers' comp law is not medical ICD-10 sub delineations that are each handled individually. We handle all of this as one thing, and that's what we've done here.
1: But I guess it, I still don't think you've answered my question, which is if the expert had said uh, yes, so this all of those things you described, and, and yes, and I think that's all one occupational disease, and you know I want, but there was this acute injury that caused. The, the worker becomes symptomatic. I'm now watching the video of how that happened, and I can see, yeah, because when you put your shoulder like that and pull on rubber like this, yeah, you're gonna tear your rotator cuff. And I gotta say, the injuries, all these symptoms, it wouldn't have mattered if you had this occupational disease, all the bone spurs or not. Anybody doing that would have suffered uh, these same injuries. I mean, would you acknowledge that in that case, you can't have an occupational disease recovery The Industrial Commission. I mean, certainly there, there's no causation. If those things had, if whether you had it or not, you would have suffered the injury. Or do you disagree with that? I would
4: disagree with that, Your Honor, because remember, Mr. Spencer did this ten times a day, and so it's not true to state that anybody who did this would suffer a shoulder tear, because he obviously did this for six years.
1: Well, wait, but you're you're rejecting my hypothetical. Right. I'm in my hypothetical though. Okay. Where the so forget our case and we're an expert saying. So imagine that were true, the extra saying, yes, this would have happened, you know, regardless of whether there's any degenerative issues. Anybody that did this would have some, then would you lose on causation in, in an occupational disease claim?
4: Okay, so if you have an event, if you have an event that is so significantly traumatic that an expert would look at that and say, if you did that, you will tear your body. Or you, then the answer is that is an injury by accident because it necessarily would be something that can happen one time, and therefore it's unusual and there's no question.
1: But, and so, but you're saying it's not an occupational disease because the person said you do have all the degeneration, you have all this, but anybody doing this thing would have... Some, do you agree? Because l- let me just take it to the next step. I mean, if we eventually get to that, yeah, if, if it would have happened anyway, the exact injury, then my question is where? how much... Of a connection between the occupational disease and then the resulting compensable injury, does there need to be in the record so you know does it does the expert need to say it's you know that this was the contributing factor? does it need to be it was a significant factor? Can it just be yeah, it was in the mix it was because that 's what we've got here in the testimony is it was a combination it was in the mix, but I you know no, nothing about how much the actual injury caused uh, or the event that you know that um, the pulling of the rubber like that that suddenly caused acute injury, how much of that led to the compensable injury versus how much was this, the bone spurs and the other disease? Are you following what I'm saying? I
4: am, Your Honor. And I think the answer on that is our case law looks at contributing factor. If it's a contributing factor, then it's covered. I mean, if we address the hypothetical of just taking out injury by accident theory, suppose the plaintiff doesn't plead that as an option, okay, and you just have an event that occurs on the job that someone needs to do because it's on the job, they get assigned that by their, their employer. Okay. It's a singular event and it's so significantly traumatic that an injury was inevitable. I would have a hard time arguing that that wouldn't also be compensable as an occupational disease. And the reason being is that Rutledge and Booker have said that the definition of an occupational disease is you have causation, you have increased risk. By this definitions of this hypothetical, where you have a singular acute event, it still looks like causation and increased risk. I mean, it's actually part of the premise. At that point, doesn't the case law constrain us? I, I don't know of any cases on the other side of that.
1: But, but see, that's and that this is what I'm struggling with because. Uh, you all, we also have that. So, for example, in fundamentals of tort law, and like in negatives, you have duty breach and causation. But it turns out it's not just, yeah, this thing was in the mix of other things that caused it. We have this very complicated test that you know we call proximate causation and that helps you determine whether that – And and that's what I'm trying to figure out is, is there some legal standard like that that we can look to in the case law to say, how do we take – what Spears testified to, which is, you know, it's not a whole lot, but he says this was a contributing factor, a, and then from that say therefore the conclusions of the law, the industrial commissioner, are okay.
4: Workers' compensation law does not apply strict negligent tort, tort principles of proximate causation. Instead, the concept that we have is the idea of natural and probable consequence, where anything that flows from the injury regardless actually of whether it's foreseeable or not. If you've got causation in fact, it can come within the ambit of the claim. It's a little bit more permissive than the tort concepts with approximate cause. Yeah, but I
1: didn't see a case applying that to the causation element in the occupational disease test. I mean, is there case law that's done that?
4: Um, precisely on that question in this context? No, but not
1: that I am aware of. Um, well, what would you say, what do you think we should say the test is then?
4: What I would say, I would turn to the intent and purpose of the Act. It is the intent and purpose of the Act that the industry be required to take care of their own wreckage. There is no dispute that Mr. Stanley Spencer is the wreckage of this industry. Of this industry. He was doing a task that caused him to tear his shoulder, tear his biceps tendon, and that put him at a higher risk of that event happening and of those, that pathology arising. That does not appear to be disputed anymore. Well, if he's, Mr. If, if he's the wreckage of industry, and this is what the case law says where you have causation and increased risk, how are we coming to a conclusion that this is not supposed to be covered? I mean, th- if that's the case, then we've arrived at a place where the law says that it is okay for industry to treat human beings like parts to be thrown away and replaced. if the the industry just causes them to break down one day in catastrophic fashion. And, Your Honor, I think that that is not something that any of our case law supports. And it is not something that is consistent with what this Court and um, the Supreme Court has tasked uh, the Industrial Commission with affecting in workers' comp. With that, um, I'll reserve the remainder of my time.
1: Thank, All you. Right. thank you. Thank you, council. Rebuttal.
2: All right, thank you again. Um, I, I think I just have some brief points to make and be happy to answer your questions. One is I'm, I'm a man of my word. I kept telling you five instances. The fifth one is on page 28. Um, in response to, to what happened with pulling on the stuck rubber um, spear testified it seems very logical to me that the mechanism of injury the pulling on the rubber could be responsible for his biceps tendon injury and then trigger again trigger that goes back to the start the spark that's, that's not relating back that's starting um, all the clinical care he had thereafter including his surgeries um, I, I think that I've answered this before about the cumulative trauma leading up to the injuries. Um, I just don't think there's evidence of that here. I, and I think Spear I- explains that. That, that I, I understand that that he was using his shoulder constantly, pulling the stuck rubber was, you know, difficult, uh, and that caused bone spurs. But there's no evidence that that cumulative trauma led to the disability. So I mean... Uh,
1: um, I don't want to get you off track, but I, I, I that's one question. So the, I think what the commission did – I'm trying to figure out what the ca- t- legal test for causation is, the correct one here. The, the standard that the commission cited was like a but-for test about the employment, something that doesn't really seem to fit here. So that what the commission says on the causation element, look at but-for employment, would the person have suffered this? It, but the, the problem we have in this case is that it was two things that arose from the employment – That caused it one was an acute injury that's not an occupational disease an acute event and then the other was the occupational disease so if if the commission never made findings and then a conclusion about something what what do we do as the court of appeals if we think there is a legal test and they never used it what would we what's our remedy
2: i think if you determine that they misapplied the law in some manner and, and you can't resolve the facts, and I, you know sometimes this court does resolve the facts, and I don't know that they should, but if they have somehow misapplied the law, if, if they have written out the law and you go, that's not the law, then you remand it back and you tell them what the law is that they have to follow, and you make them then look at the facts and, and weigh it. Um, you know, and I, and you may have to do that with, with what I'm saying, but, I, you know, I think what my argument is, if you buy what I say, you say they misapplied the law, or actually, maybe the causation law, but you know they they misapplied the facts and they stated something that you know they said. Doctor Spear said something that he didn't say. So I think you could correct that one. But but again, if you're if it's this test and, and
1: well, do you I, do you think there's a test for the for that third factor in a case like this where you're trying to figure out there's I, multiple things happen in the workplace?
2: I look at it as and I'm going to fall into the trap of what, what Mr. Burdick said I was doing, but anyway, I, I do look at it as, I think you have to prove one or the other or both. You can prove both. And I think here it's clearly not an injury by accident. Um, and so you have did you prove, did plaintiff prove that the occupational disease was a substantial contributing factor to his injury such that it caused a disability? I'll, I'll repeat. I think that's the test.
1: And if that is the test, and the commission in its conclusions of law never said that, do we just, it, since it's a conclusion of law, can we just, do we just, we just have to say it if we right? But if we think I, that there's facts that need to be resolved, if that's the test, right. then we have to send it back. Is that right.
2: your position? And I think that that if if you agree with me that that's what the that okay again Wayne's right that's what the law should have been the full commission should have applied it. If you can then say and if they applied it the facts lead to only one conclusion, it's not compensable, then I don't think you have to remand it back. But if you this is if they applied this test and it kind of affects the facts that they found, so we just need them to do it again, then I think you would remand it back. Um, Let us
0: let's, let's get to, to injury by accident real quick and give you a chance to, to address that. The, the the you know your your general argument as I take it is that you know this uh, th- these things get stuck all the time. It's part of the, and, and the employees have figured it out. But there's also evidence that, that wasn't supposed to be the way it is, and that the employees had complained about this, and this was something that this was just part of the process that that was wrong, hadn't been fixed despite complaints over years. Um, so I, I guess the question is, just because something happens, is sort of an you know accident waiting to happen in a sense that you know th- this was this was not part of the normal process or should not have been part of the normal process um, I mean does it does it have to be just this one-time event or could it be something that an employer is, has put in place or refused to fix that, that can lead to an accident
2: the case law tells you very clearly that if you do something that even if you even if it causes exertion, um, even if you, you, you know, something happens over and over again, it can become part of your normal routine, and that's what the full commission found. Okay.
0: So then and, in that case, why, why is this case not jurisdictional? Because there's, as you say, there's no dispute that this was uh, something that was caused by something at work. If it's not an occupational disease, if it's not an, an accident because it's something the employer uh, is requiring them to do, whether the employer should or not, why, why doesn't this fall outside? of the exclusivity provisions of the workers' comp. And, and why shouldn't we just allow the plaintiff to, to pursue a negligence case against well, good
2: here? In 20 seconds, 100 years of the, the act, there was a compromise. And there is an exclusivity act. If you get hurt at work, you get paid if it falls underneath the act. If it doesn't fall underneath the act, you don't get paid. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's a. J- Judge Hampson that's that's kind of a huge question. I don't and I, I'm I, not sure the that was, that was
0: one of those unfair questions. That I asked with 20 seconds left in your argument. Yeah, but I accept it it. Yeah
2: Um, yeah No, I don't think that I think this I, this is a worker's comp case It's at the Industrial Commission if they don't find an injury by accident or an occupational disease Then you don't get benefits outside of the Industrial Commission And if I can have 15 seconds and I can't explain it but Judge Dietz you can referring refer to rotator cuff and I know that's in the Conclusions, but when you look at the deposition, that's not the injury we're talking about, it's the biceps tear. And I, well, I just and assumed Mr. Burdick's, I don't,
1: I'm not a uh, kinesiologist or whatever, so I assume it's all connected up there. Well, but.
2: he did have a rotator cuff tear, and that's where it gets a little confusing. Mr. Burdick's can come up here and blow my argument out of the water, but I think he had some tearing. Um, Dr. Barnes saw some but didn't do anything, or anyway, when it got to Dr. Spear, it was worse, and Dr. Spear did something. My statement is there's no evidence that that caused any disability, but I just wanted to bring to your attention, rotator cup is mentioned in Spear's deposition and in the opinion in the but I don't think that's the injury we're talking about.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Counselor. Second rebuttal?
4: I think it's important to come back now to the standard review. We have an anti-competent evidence standard. It's very permissive. Page 38 of Dr. Spears' deposition, he's asked whether the acute event and the wear and tear contributed collectively to the bicep and tear, and he says yes. I think that's the end of it. I mean, if he says more likely than not, that has been found under Holly versus Axe and Young versus Hickory Business Furniture to be sufficient. It's competent evidence to meet the plaintiff's burden. Certainly,
1: if we think the legal test is, you just need a little bit. But what if we think, what if if it was 1% the occupational disease and 99% the acute event? We think that's not enough. So the standard is you have to show that the occupational disease was some substantial or significant factor or something, then It's a little bit more complicated. But I I take it you're saying, no, you don't have to do that. You just need evidence that it was one of the contributing causes.
4: Yes, and Rutledge says that. I mean, Rutledge and a lot of these early occupational disease claims all involve the same kinds of occupational disease, specifically smoking and COPD and bisonosis. And the reason that matters is because in these early cases where this, uh, actually the Supreme Court largely, grappled with how much causation is necessary, they had to deal with the fact that in these mill towns, the people who are going and doing this mill work and were breathing in all this cotton dust also smoked to a person. And there would be conflicting testimony that, you know, oh, it's either all or a substantial part of it is from the smoking, not just the cotton dust. And you know, in Rutledge, the answer was, well, it's a, if it's a factor, it's enough. Uh, there was not a particular percentage factor that it had to be, it didn't have to be the majority factor. It didn't have to be um, anything other than just a significant factor.
0: And and I think that's part of what the the full commission is struggling with in in this case, is it's it's not even a question necessarily of is it occupational disease or not. It's Is it occupational disease or is it acute injury at work, setting aside accident? And and, and that seems to be, you know, and obviously Statutorily, we we kind of want to put it in one bucket or the other, right? And and so, and and so I think the you know the, the question becomes: What do we do in that in that in that gray area? What is the what is the causal? What is the causal test? What is the proper analysis that the commission's supposed to apply? What's the test when it it could be either one? Mm-hmm. And 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 you know and how do we articulate that test?
4: Johnston versus Duke answers that and says you don't separately consider that final event separate from all the other ones yeah there was a final event sure no question i mean that happened but that acute event is part of the occupational disease it is not to be considered separately from it plaintiff filed one workers comp claim the claim was pled in the alternative as either consider that april 21st 2018 event as an injury by accident, or consider all of the trauma from his work generally as an occupational disease. That doesn't exclude that final event. And the defendants have yet to come up here and cite to a single piece of legal authority that calls for considering that April 21st, 2018 event separately from all the rest. Not one case, nothing, there is not one case. And that's because if you look at cases like Flynn versus EPSG, there was a similar event. There was that event that happened at the end. And it was considered as part of the overall occupational disease. You still, you had that in Gibbs versus Leggett where you have the guy who's pushing the big, uh, he's a tiny guy, like, like I think under five feet or something like that. He's pushing this large industrial buffer around and his shoulder starts hurting one day. You don't separate out that event from the rest of it. If you were to shave off the final cumulative trauma that preceded disability from the rest of the claim in every occupational disease claim, there would not be cumulative trauma claims anymore. Defendants are asking you to do something novel. They are asking you to do something for which there is no pre-existing authority and which is essentially a surplusage or in addition to existing law of occupational disease. And I would submit to your honor that going and doing that is contrary to the intent purpose of the Act, for industry to take care of its own wreckage. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Council. We'll adjourn.
2: This session of the North Carolina Court of Appeals is adjourned.